When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Irish Illustrated Insider brought to you by Anderson, Augustino, and Keller, Attorneys at Law, with offices in South Bend, Indiana, serving the local community's legal needs with a diverse and innovative group of lawyers. Let their team be your edge on legal matters. Contact the lawyers at Anderson, Augustino, and Keller at 574-288-1510 or visit their webpage at aaklaw.com. Welcome back to our latest Irish Illustrated Insider podcast. Pete Sampson, Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley coming to you from room 1208 in the Rosen Plaza, a day before the Citrus Bowl, Notre Dame versus LSU. We finished up all our media availabilities down here. Uh, There was a Coach Ed Orgeron, Coach Brian Kelly joint press conference that just wrapped up this morning. So now all there is is to play a game and and for us to make our predictions. And there's a lot of material to cover since our last podcast, which I think maybe even uh, predated Kevin Stefferson's suspension. So uh, with C.J. Holmes, Ali Zimak, Dan McIntosh, Kevin Stefferson out for Notre Dame. Uh, LSU has a couple major injuries at linebacker. Also Arden Key, their best pass rusher, is out. There are a million ways to look at this, and that's sort of what we do with bowl games because much like the coaches, we have a month to prepare for our prediction. Uh, so... Priester, why don't you start? What's sort of the most interesting dynamic that you're going to be looking for tomorrow once we're at the Citrus Bowl? Well, I I do think that LSU's losses, I don't necessarily want to say are more significant than Notre Dame's because, I mean, Kevin Stefferson's a huge key for Notre Dame. I mean, Deion Deion McIntosh wasn't playing, and Brock Wright was an integral part of of everything. Yeah, LSA Mack, I mean, for, for his lack of productivity this year, that was a guy that was on the field a lot. So those are... Stefferson and him are, are significant losses, but I don't think as significant as LSU's losses at linebacker and in uh, Alexander and Thompson, and then I guess they they call Arden Key an outside linebacker as well. He's really a, a rush in type guy. Those are huge losses for them, and so I think it's going to be interesting to see how uh, number one how aggressive Dave Aranda is with two true freshmen at inside linebacker. Um, you know, I think he'll probably straight, stay true to his nature. But, man, when you have a couple freshmen running around out there, and they did play a little bit this year, but when you have freshmen running around there on the second level uh, with with Notre Dame's, you know, Orgeron mentioned Notre Dame's pulling guards coming at you, that's advantage Notre Dame. And so, um, you know, in terms of balancing uh, lost players, I, I kind of give Notre Dame the edge. You know, I throw in Claypool in that, too. Um because obviously yeah, he predates I, I, He's not for productivity as much as he became a guy that Wimbush was yeah, looking towards. I'm remiss in that. So, um, yeah. Stefferson, of course, is it was the he's the Stefferson's the current difference maker that they're missing though. Um, I do think it's a chance for if if Mac were not suspended, Mac playing. Not that he's going to have a breakout game in a situation like this, but he could be a guy that would have gone into <clears> a <throat> off season with maybe he's the guy that catches three first downs. And keeps chains moving. Now that's going to come up to 
Brock Wright, maybe Nick Wisher, possibly Cole Komet, as you mentioned, Brian Kelly said he'll have a role. I do think the tight ends are going to have to catch some passes in this game because although I think Equinemius St. Brown will beat press coverage and it all comes down to Brandon Wimbush being able to hit him, I don't think, and we saw this in the spring and in the fall, the one thing Miles Boykin does not do well is run away from a quality corner, and I don't think he's going to be able to do that against LSU. Okay, no. And I know I, I actually heard you on, on Phil Houck's show mention Chris Fink and, uh, and who else could step up. I feel like Chris Fink would step up if Deshaun Kaiser was the quarterback or, or someone that was a passing quarterback that could work with him in the timing of the routes and stuff like that. I, I'm, I'm also the mindset that it's got to be a guy like Tony Jones doing some extra I, I agree. I think we're and, – and I changed my opinion about that since then because in talking to Brian Kelly, they're going to run – they're going to have multiple tight ends on the field, maybe more than we've seen at any point this year. If they do get Komet involved with – Smythe, I don't know what that means to Wisher because he didn't he didn't mention Wisher, but um, you know, and and Tony Jones, he actually legitimately said he'll line up as a as a receiver as a as a slot receiver. So I think the dynamics of that have changed a little bit. We all think Cole Komet's going to be really really good. I don't know how prominent he'll be in this game, Monday, but that's I, the you know, I mean, you kind of, why why wasn't he playing? I mean, Elise Mack was struggling, although Kelly did say that. Um, you know, he, he kind of, Komet had to kind of learn the physicality of an entire year, and he learned that through Durham Smythe. So a lot has definitely changed, um, I mean, even since the suspensions, just because of the use of personnel. Yeah, well, I think with only Equimony St. Brown among the receivers that I think you could bank on, that would lead you to more two-back, two-tight-end looks because the yes. fewer receivers you have on the field, the better, and that Tony Jones does line up a wide receiver there. I think with Cole Komet, it's interesting because we actually got a chance to talk to uh, Mike Elko and Chip Long down here for the first time since August, and um, Chip Long started talking about Cole Komet. Uh, I didn't ask about him, but uh, it was about how that um, – Chip Long didn't really have an understanding of the demands on Notre Dame athletes academically. And he said that there was a meeting that Cole Komet came into uh, in bowl prep around finals. And he was just like, what's the matter with you? And Cole Komet couldn't, like, he couldn't focus on anything. He was just like, what so... What DJ Harvey with the right. basketball team? He was just so beat that he had no energy at all. And I, and I asked Brian Kelly a little bit about Michael Young in a similar vein, I think the second day I was down here, about... You know, these freshmen... That was like December 2nd, right? Yeah, they look really good in August when there's no school. And then school starts and they vanish. Well, there hasn't been school for about two and a half weeks. So I think that's where, if you're expecting Cole Komet to maybe give you two catches for 27 yards and Michael Young maybe three targets, that's realistic. Um, That's a lot more than they've done all year. And I I think that is where um, Notre Dame maybe... I don't want to say could spring a surprise, but Cole Komet, I was unbelievably high in him in camp and in the summer based on everything that I've heard. And everyone I talk to around Notre Dame feels the exact same way now as they did then, despite what happened or didn't happen this season. They think Cole Komet could be three-year player good. Um, so this might be an opportunity for him to, to make a mark. I think it's interesting you bring that up, and I hadn't thought about that aspect of having the time off because – Guys like, now they were winning games by a lot more, but guys like Fink, Komet, and especially Young, and some of the younger guys were getting targeted earlier in the year. I know it was mop-up duty, but they're still involved in things. If you look at their targets, Chris Fink has been targeted three times since the Georgia game. 
That, yeah. that seems remarkable. Yeah. Really, Michael Young hasn't been targeted since the first Miami game. Guys like that just they just disappeared over time, and Notre Dame was blowing some teams out. So obviously, they weren't producing enough in practice, and that could be a result of other demands. But I guess we don't think about that as much when we're watching Michael Young run away from everybody in August. That it's not going to be the same thing for the yeah. rest of the season. And we and, and we need to keep that in mind in future August. <laughs> yeah, you know? I guess I mean, so. <laughs> because and you know everything has it's a caveat. It's he looks good now, but it is August. Remember, and that that can change. But. Uh, you know, everything that I thought that I saw on film of LSU offensively has kind of been validated by some of the things that Mike Elko and, and Brian Kelly has said. Now, I didn't, I was surprised when both of them and Brian Kelly, I talked to him about it yesterday, um, you know, talked about how LSU is Navy-like in terms of having to be assignment conscious defensively, having to account for all the movement, and LSU moves pre-snap more than anybody. Um, you know, and we've talked about the jet sweeps before. I mean, it's all a lot. It's all a lot for a defense to take in. And Kelly said he's, you know, being during the regular season, SEC teams have three days of practice time to prepare for it. Notre Dame's had, you know, I mean, you can say a month, but really like a couple weeks because they haven't really been focusing on them the whole month. So, I mean, it's still a challenge, but I'm really – I'm really excited to see LSU's offense going against Notre Dame's defense because I think it's, I think it's a great matchup. It's going to be a lot of fun. The uh, the season finale for Matt Canada at LSU and maybe the career yeah. finale, too, which is another weird dynamic it, of this game. It has to be taken in consideration for how much um, complimentary feedback we seem to get about Matt Canada's offense. Uh, Ed Orgeron does not share that opinion, and they're going to part ways after this game. It's incredible to me that yes. you would uh, sort of hit the home run higher. A guy that Notre Dame looked into um, before they, they hired Chip Long as their offensive coordinator, and he'll be out after one year. I don't know what impact that will have uh, tomorrow, but it can't be a good one for, for LSU at least. No, it's not like he's a 10-year respected program member that's going to be going out on a high note. No. It's, it, it, there's something unseemly like involved in this. Like Pete Jenkins, our offensive Right, and they're going to play for him. But right. it, this is, it's, a very, it's a strange, it's just, a, well, it when I read like that, the, I couldn't believe yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like there's a lot of pushback back and forth between Orgeron and Canada. I mean, I don't think anybody, you know, I mean, one guy's giving it as well as the other one is, and and so I, you know, I think it's a mutual parting of ways. Pete, you had heard stuff about Canada being unhappy during the season, and now we know that Orgeron's not too happy with the personality that that Canada presents to him. So I don't, you know, does that then impact their offense on game day? Does that impact the players? I mean, really, the relationship between Orgeron and Canada on game day doesn't really matter, right? Is he, he going to run a jet sweep on third and twenty-two out of spite? I, I don't know. Uh, so that's that is that's an interesting dynamic, uh, and maybe you know you guys have all been watching the bowl games. Many times you can tell through the first five minutes of the game who's who's locked in and who isn't. It'd be better if you could tell before the first five. Yeah, minutes of the game yeah, I know. Happens. Yeah. Uh, Although you have been, able I to, have right? been kind of good here since I got. To, yeah, since I got to Orlando, my picks have been good, but. Uh, you know, how that exactly impacts Canada calling the game for his players. It probably doesn't. You wouldn't I mean, think? You wouldn't think so. It's no. just an underlined. It's more, all these weird things are happening, and this is why people all care if Notre Dame's having guys suspended and stuff like that. It has to do with your preparation. It has to do with focus of preparation. Not Everyone focuses on game day. There's no such thing as someone that's not willing to win on game day. Yeah. It's the will to prepare to win is what it comes and down that's to. That's what I think. I mean... It's hard to find a better duo of coordinators than what LSU has. 
No, I mean, they I, have the two highest paid coordinators, well, I believe. I, I, I'm pretty sure they're coordinating the USA Today sports uh, assistant coaching salaries that Aranda is number one overall, yeah. and Canada is the highest offensive coordinator. Wow. Um, they're both, I, I think they're both over 1.5. I know Aranda is at 1.8. Um, so it's, and, you know, to talk about Notre Dame's defense, to get back to that, and Mike Elko, because, again, we've had some access to him down here. Um, I talked to Brian Kelly because I was down here on the first day, and it was just me, and um, I'd heard that, you know, A&M had at least made a slight approach to him, and that there was some some feedback around A&M that there was going to be some interest there. Um, Kelly shot that down. Elko didn't want to talk about it the other day, but I, I think that Notre Dame is in a position now certainly a defensive coordinator, I think an offensive coordinator, that their coaching staff, in terms of their ability, and I think the cohesion um, among that group is, I don't know if it's at a high point of the Kelly era, but it probably is at a high point of the Kelly era. And I I do think in terms of, O'Malley, your point about the will to prepare, well, if you have coaches who are locked in, they're going to get their guys prepared. If you don't, then you've got a real problem. I mean, we were talking about um, Ohio State, USC before the podcast. Well, USC looked totally unprepared. Well, their coaching staff is a little bit in flux. I think Ohio State is much more stable. And, well, I mean, Notre Dame's coaching staff is very, very stable, and LSU's looks like a total mess right now. So that that's something I think you at least have to consider. Speaking of that game, have you ever seen a more lopsided 24-7 to yeah. game? No. I mean, yeah. USC had absolutely no chance. But we were joking before we started recording, I Thankfully, Mike Elko is a defensive coordinator facing this offense because if Van Gorder was still a coordinator, they'd give up 55. <laughs> all the mo- you know, be, yeah, all the movement going on, the guys wouldn't know they'd be turned around, they wouldn't be set at the snap of the football. Although Van Gorder was a coordinator, they'd have been playing Army about a week and a half ago. So <laughs> well, <laughs> so, yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah, they've been true. gifted this role. And I, I think the season would have ended at Stanford. Yeah. There's a, there was a lot of talk about Chip Long and you know play calling during the season, how good of a coordinator he is. And then when you get an opportunity to speak to him a little bit, and Pete, you have, and then we had the opportunity the other day, um, I think he's probably a better coordinator than we realize right now, but he's got a quarterback that's completing 49%, and there are massive aspects of his, his playbook that they can't get to because of the quarterback's inaccuracy and – they had big plans for Tony Jones, a two-back. He's a, he's a good pass-catching running back. He hits a high ankle sprain early and is basically worthless to him throughout you know, most of the regular season. So I'd like to think that Chip Long, the combo of Chip Long and Mike Elko, ultimately is almost as good or as good as what LSU has to offer. But because of the shortcomings in personnel offensively, we still really don't know or ha- we still really haven't seen what Chip, uh, Chip Long can do. I think Notre Dame, if you're looking at the two teams, is trying to break down the overall improvement or lack thereof for Notre Dame versus LSU. You have a team that's won six out of seven in LSU with a loss to Alabama. They played competitive loss. A competitive loss to Alabama. In November, they allowed the following yards per carry. Three wins in Alabama. Alabama averaged 3.2 yards per carry. There was a 4.1, 1.1 at Tennessee and 2.0 against Texas A&M for that defensive front of LSU. Notre Dame, in November, I shouldn't say November, in the final three games, do you know how many rushing touchdowns Notre Dame had? Notre Dame's the best rushing offense we've seen here since 1992. Had one rushing touchdown in their final three games. 
it's remarkable what what happened really and i think the reset button can be hit because of this break it's no one needed yeah. a break more than notre dame now is that an excuse or just the reality? It's not an, I'm not excusing the losses. I don't think you should completely wear down every November, but it's not November anymore. And I think it's a reset for Elko's unit too, because remember that rush defense, was it through the Wake Forest game or into the Wake Forest game, had a lot of one rushing touchdown? Then they allowed eight going in into November. Miami. Going into Miami. Oh, going to Miami, then they allowed eight. It's just a ridiculous change. It's, that's not the Notre Dame team we saw all year. You would hope if you're a Notre Dame fan, that's not going to be the Notre Dame team you see tomorrow. And I think, I think it's a mild problem. If it is the Notre Dame team, you see, I'm not saying they can't lose the game. I'm saying if you see that team that folds in the fourth quarter, it's not going to be a Miami game again. But if you see a team that folds like they did against Stanford where everything, once something goes wrong, it all goes wrong. I don't think that is the true character of the Notre Dame team. You know, it's, uh, I think it was Drew Tranquil who told me, and he's pretty upfront, forthright guy, you know, he'll give you an honest answer whether it's an uncomfortable question or not. And he said that defensively in the front seven, they wore down. So that's not the case now. Um, so it goes back to the the break, maybe benefiting Notre Dame more than LSU. And it, you know, talking to Josh Adams, I mean, he's somebody that if his leg fell off, he'd say, oh, "I'm 100 percent, I'm fine." Um, but Durham Smythe, Chip Long, Brian Kelly, Brandon Wimbush, Equimini St. Brown all said Josh Adams looks like September Josh Adams now, not November Josh Adams who averaged three and change per carry, no rushing touchdowns. Um, you know, one 100 yard game and three games under 50 yards. So, I I mean, they, they need September Josh Adams to go back to something we talked about earlier with personnel sets because it's Brandon Wimbush has not evolved or improved as a passer to, to my eye. It's just been an inconsistent um, up and down season. Which you predicted, but not to this extent. You didn't no, think this bad. The, the, no. the highs and the, the lows were too low. Yeah, the lows were too low and there weren't enough highs. But um, if you're getting that Brandon Wimbush, like let's say he hasn't made this meteoric rise or, or major jump in the in December, then you're going to need a Brandon Wimbush 23 passing attempts or less. And if that's the case, then you're going to need Josh Adams 22 rushes, Tony Jones, Dexter Williams 15 combined, Brandon Wimbush 13, um, maybe a Michael Young jet sweep in there or something. But it's... Um, I think with Wimbush as a passer, it's just it's going to require a discipline from Long as a play caller that he has shown at times this year, but he is itching to do something else. Um, but I just don't think the quarterback's going to allow that something else. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, and and I don't, I mean, I don't expect Dexter Williams to play any kind of significant role because he's not a he's not a pass blocker and dealing with everything that LSU brings at you, the aggressiveness of their front seven, the aggressiveness of their corners off the edge. I, I just don't see, you know, I mean. You're realistic. Right, yeah, I mean, yeah, we, have, we have the head coach and offensive coordinator bring up Tony Jones's name, you know, seemingly out of the blue when we hear it. So I, I'm sure he's heavily involved. We know Josh Adams is, and I just don't think there are enough carries or, or snaps for Dexter Williams. just broke millions of yeah. uh, Well, I mean, it's just... It's just What's the saying? Fool me once. Shame yeah, on exactly. You fool me 12 straight times. Shame <laughs> on me. You know, getting back to uh, the defense wearing down in November, whatever the reason, whether that's uh, the strength and conditioning coach isn't as good as we thought he was or Nordame's depth or whatever, I don't think it was a matter of want to because I do think that there's leadership on this team. I think there's leadership on both sides of the football, but you know, two of the last three games are 
on the road, uh, you know, where Notre Dame has struggled. And I, and I, you know, I just think that they, it, it wasn't a great defensive front to begin with. Mike Elko being a very, very good def- defensive coordinator was able to mask a lot of that, just as he did at safety, which is really, he did an incredible <clears throat> job this year. But at a certain point, you can't mask it all. And when you are worn out and you're at Miami and the atmosphere is ridiculous and you're at Stanford. And they have since completely conceded that the atmosphere got them at Miami. Just to point that yeah. out to people that do not believe that narrative. Drew Tranquil, Julian Love, Brian Kelly. I don't know who else you need to say it. Brandon Winbush isn't going to say it because there's yeah. no reason for him to admit that. Yeah. They have conceded how bad, how, how they were overwhelmed. By what well, and look, and look at Miami since then. I mean, Miami has been Miami has been an average team since then. They lost three average. times. Yeah, that's not average. Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay, <laughs> they only played average. four games. Yeah, and and <laughs> you know Malik Rozier looks more like Brandon Wimbush yeah. than John Elway the night of the, the Notre Dame game. I think in terms of um, the things that. A couple of alarm bells that, that went off to me today in, in Brian Kelly and Ogeron's press conference were special, pretty much all special teams related. Brian Kelly did mention about the safety play, which is a concern for him because Notre Dame's safeties haven't been that good that year. But um, he said you know, special teams is a real concern after a month off. Um, but LSU has its own special teams concerns as well, which could be more directly points on the board, points off the board if their uh, they're field goal kickers undefe- undecided and then a kickoff specialist as well. Not that Notre Dame is a dynamic kickoff return team, but you know if you're shanking the ball out of bounds, then that, uh, that's yeah. Another I issue. think that. I mean, I hear what you're saying on yeah. both sides. I think it ultimately is a wash because neither one's going to be very good at it. I hope Notre Dame doesn't give up a a long return. I, you know, and maybe Notre Dame's kicking game is or, or it would kicker be better than kick is, is, it should be on more solid ground, but. Justin Yoon hasn't attempted a kick in five to six weeks. So right, I mean, but he's yeah. a meter more reliable than the guy you don't know who's going to kick yeah. in for LSU. Obviously, otherwise they would have chosen their kicker. Yeah. I do yeah. like, uh, you know, I, I feel like I'm saying many of the same things that I've said over the last six weeks, but when you have all this time to analyze an opponent, um, I, I, I love their running backs. I mean, Darius Geis, everybody knows about Darius Geis, but Darrell Williams has 770 yards rushing, nine rushing touchdowns, and has a, a better average per carry than Geist does. It's a great one-two punch. We'll get the football to them in a multitude of ways. We've talked about the jet sweeps with Russell Gage. Uh, I think all of that makes Danny Etling a way more productive, efficient quarterback than he has a right to be. Um, you know, and this is a fifth-year, this is a fifth-year senior who, going into this game, they don't turn the ball over. They've only turned it over eight times, and you know, I mean, is it? This is it's just like a bowl game for a Nordic safety to make a pick in this game. But I don't but I don't but I don't think that will happen because I think LSU's offense is so well schooled and so efficient. Not not huge numbers. They're only averaging twenty eight. They're averaging less than thirty points per game. But you know, we also have to keep in mind that they're trending up that's, scoring though. Well yeah, and that is that's conference play and your your conference opponents know you so well. That it's that it's more difficult to make inroads against them, who you see every year, than somebody like Notre Dame, who hasn't had to play an offense like this. I think for me, it's if we kind of spin it into predictions here. There are a lot of reasons to take Notre Dame, and there are a lot of reasons to take LSU. And I, I think the issue that sort of sticks with me the most is Brandon Wimbush, the passer. Um, he's averaging. I think 2.3 turnovers per game in Notre Dame's three losses. 
and about I think less than one in Notre Dame's eight eight it, wins it that eight, eight yeah. wins that he was part of. Um, and I think for all the coaching theatrics with LSU, Brandon Wimbush is on the field during the game, and Matt Canada isn't. So I I think my pick is sort of a vote of lack of confidence in Brandon Wimbush. I'm going to LSU 26-23 in kind of a weird game. I think this will be entertaining. Um, not stylistically pretty. Uh, I think it will be a lot more of a normal football game than the last time Notre Dame played LSU, which was just weird football. Um, but I, I think ultimately LSU has, I think in some ways, you know, how often did we, did we run across a defensive line that was like, yeah, we just heard about Notre Dame's offensive line all week and that gave them extra, some extra juice. I, w- I wonder if there will be a dynamic of that with LSU's defensive line. I also wonder if there will be a dynamic of that with Darius Geis and Josh Adams because Josh Adams had a Heisman campaign and Darius, good point. Geis, Darius Geis is like the, the best running back most people really haven't heard of. Um, so I'm, I'm going to LSU 26-23. I think it will be a game that will sort of validate pretty much what we already know about Notre Dame. I don't think it's going to be a game of revelations for Notre Dame, positive or negative. Brandon Wimbush is going to have to improve in a huge way as a passer this offseason, and Notre Dame's going to have to upgrade his talent on safety. I think those will be the, the big takeaways coming out. I also think don't – whatever happens um, tomorrow, I think you would be making a mistake to think that Notre Dame needs to make – any sort of coaching changes. I think the Elko long dynamic with their coaches underneath them needs to continue to grow. I think it made huge progress this year. Um, so I think that's the Wimbush safety dynamic, by all means, that's going to be an off season of um, sort of separating everything out and gnashing teeth. But I, I do think Notre Dame is a good place from a coaching staff perspective uh, among its assistants. I think you made a good point at the end because if Notre Dame wins this game, it doesn't make Brandon Wimbush a better football player next year. No. If Notre Dame loses this game, it, it doesn't make it doesn't make him a better football player. It just makes the fan base a lot happier. Yeah. And I totally understand which, that. 10-3 which, is... Which is significant it is. for it, Brandon Wimbush who feels all yeah, of that yeah. around him. If he plays well and they lose a great game, it, I mean, he, he just needs to improve yeah. over the next nine months. Yeah. And he needs to play one of his two best, two or three best games this year for Notre Dame to beat LSU. A couple numbers to throw out before my prediction. Brian Kelly is 2-11 since the Oklahoma game as a road or neutral underdog. Now, he wasn't an underdog straight at all. Up. You're year. straight up 2-11. Straight, winning the game. Yeah, yeah it's, I don't think people care if nobody <laughs> covers tomorrow. But yeah, 2-11, straight up winning the game. It, it's, it's weird to, to think that, first of all. Now, that didn't happen all this year, so you could throw out 2018. But it's just part of the trends that are going against Notre Dame. The way LSU played at the end of the year and the way they looked defensively compared to the way Notre Dame looked, I am voting, I am picking the reset button to keep this game close. If there was no reset button to Notre Dame being refreshed... If this was week 13. If this was week 13, I would pick 38-13 to LSU. I'm putting a reset button on Notre Dame, and I think Notre Dame for two months was one of the four best teams in the country. Um, I don't think LSU is anything like the team say they lost to Troy, whatever, they... 
they couldn't have been less involved in that game, and that's not what you're going to see the from LSU. Yeah, and the film shows that they could have been, couldn't have been less engaged than they, right. they were in that they, game. They didn't give up a run in excess of 28 yards this year in the SEC, playing Auburn, Alabama, Mississippi State, but they gave up a 75-yard run against Troy. I mean, that was just not the team you're going to see. And I don't think that's the, the Notre Dame team you're going to see is the one you saw fold when it got tight at Stanford and not show up against Miami. That. I'm giving Notre Dame a little bit of the benefit of the doubt with a reset button, not because this isn't one of those if-not-now-when things. This is I think Notre Dame is much better than they showed at the end of the year, and they don't have to be that team yeah. anymore. Um, and I'm in that 27-24 Notre Dame range. I'm going to hate myself in the morning for that pick. It's not the last, uh, you know, it's not the, uh, not the first time I've hated myself in the morning, though. But, on New, on yeah, New Year's Day. On New Year's Day, yeah, exactly. It's, it's customary at this point. But uh, Pete makes a great point about... This is why I already hate myself, and I can't take it back. <laughs> <laughs> Pete made a great point about LSU hearing about the Notre Dame offensive yeah, line all, all I like that. And, and it's not like a bunch of undersized guys hearing about how good Quentin right. Nelson is. It's guys that are going to be in the league. So it's a great point by Pete, and that's going to keep it closer for LSU. Okay. But the reset button is hit, 27-24 Notre Dame, and 10-3 uh, is looked back as a success as opposed to Boy. the awfulness I tried to press uh, Brian Kelly yesterday about the difference between going into the offseason with a bowl win and loss and it he was can't give you an kind of, answer yeah I mean it was it was kind of lost on I, I'm not sure I asked it properly but let me let me just give a little perspective about LSU they're, they they won their last three games against Arkansas at Tennessee and Texas A&M those teams stink I mean they were bad in Tennessee, I think all three fired their coaches, right? Yeah, right, yeah. I mean, uh, yes, exactly. So I, you know, <laughs> I don't, I don't yeah. put a lot of credence in that, you know, because those those teams were unorganized. What I do put credence in is LSU's run defense in general and defense in general, and how Notre Dame's offense and this great Joe Moore award-winning offensive line has done against quality defenses. Not very good. So, but you know, again, that's tied in with Brandon Wimbush and his performance. Uh, does Greedy Williams get a, a, a pick of, of Brandon Wimbush this game? I think their cornerback is pretty good, and, and there's a good chance of that. I want to get back to one point real quick, Pete, that you made about Notre Dame's coaching staff staying the same. Um, you know that a large segment of people want the quarterback coach to change, but that's right. not going, that isn't going to happen. Now, Brian Co- Kelly told me all 10 assistants will be back. Yeah, that, that's what he that, expects. That's, that's not going to happen. All right, I'll cut to the chase. I've been making good bull picks here since I got to Orlando. Based upon the starting theory, I wanted I go I start with head coach versus head coach. Well, when I do that with Notre Dame and LSU, I think Notre Dame has an advantage. But I know too much about their coordinators. You know, probably more about their coordinators than most teams that we generally sure uh, know. So what I'm what I'm trying to get at is. I'm going to write my preview by the pool today because this is the first time in three days that we've been able to sit by the pool. So I don't know who I'm going to pick. I'll make that decision as the uh, sun shines off. That's why I had to make my yeah. I didn't want the pool. I look forward to reading because, like, the, the coaching dynamic is interesting because, like, in your first-rate series, if you had included LSU and you're doing a first-rate of head coaches, where would you rank Ed Orgeron? 12th? I mean, ahead of Jeff Collins. Yeah, it would, he would be. He yeah, would be behind. Sure. He, he would be ahead of all of the only those that were the least. Yeah. Ex- Smart, Adazio, D'Antonio, Chuck Martin, Helton, Doran. Um, behind Doran. Uh, Rick, right? Lolo, Shaw, and um, I'm Wake Forest. Uh, Clawson. 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 I mean, I I, 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 I would still I would still have I mean. Even before 11th? this year, I would have had Clawson ahead of 
Yeah. Bergeron. So maybe ahead of Chuck Martin and Jeff Collins. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and Chuck Martin was coming off the six straight wins, you know, something that never been done. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. And as I, and if you go. Oh, Larry Fedora, I'm sorry. Include him too. If you look at, you look at a lot of these bowl games and you look Mm -hmm. at, you just, you match coaching staff versus coaching staff. Go back to Ohio State, USC. The score made no sense, but then when you replace the team names with the head coach, right. you're like, oh, right. And then so the opening kickoff, Urban Meyer and his special teams, what happens on the opening yeah, kickoff? I think they got to the 12. Yeah. And it's just like, okay, here we go. I watched this game before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because right. Notre Dame never got past the 15 in the Fiesta Bowl a couple years ago. Well, we will see what happens tomorrow in the Citrus Bowl. All three of us will be there. Pre-game instant analysis, post-game instant analysis, columns, report cards. Notebooks, game stories, uh, Priesters preview later today, who and what to watch from O'Malley as well, uh, this podcast, which you've already listened to. Uh, So all that coming on Irish Illustrated. Thanks for listening to our latest Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast.